Hello, and welcome to Episode 4 of the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. Rachel is a speaker, licensed counselor, and an overcomer. As Rachel is walking through her own journey of grief, she's challenging others to persevere and overcome their own circumstances. We pray that you'll be encouraged by this all-new podcast. Here now is your host, Rachel Flick. Hey everybody, this is Rachel Flick, and today I'm really excited to bring you Kimberly Oster. She is a longtime mentor of mine, and she and I are going to talk about mentoring, how to get a mentor, what are you looking for, how to start that relationship. Kim loves leading women. She mentors, teaches, and mobilizes women of all ages to lead well in every area of life. Seeing women grow in passion, purpose, and potential is exciting for her, as is being an ambassador for Propel Women. Being married to Brad for more than 40 years is her greatest life accomplishment. Colorado is their home base as they work together with churches throughout the U.S. Kim specializes in designing interiors for churches and children's areas. This is where her creativity thrives. In creating imaginative spaces, the gateway to people's faith is opened. Earning a private pilot's license means that days spent cutting holes in clouds are a favorite of Kim's. They are second only to family time and beach days. As mom to three grown children, Kim especially loves being Nana to five granddarlings and granddudes. <laughs> Hi, Kim. I'm so glad to have you today. Welcome. Hi, Rachel. Thank you for having me. Hi. I love that I get to share our relationship with people on the podcast. It's a great thing. No one else gets to know what happens between you and I. I know. Like, I feel like we're revealing secrets. Maybe not that many. Not to. We'll keep some secrets <laughs> we today. Will. Um, one of the things that I'm really excited to bring to the podcast today, I love the Enneagram. I haven't talked about it a lot yet, but I know that you're going to hear me talk about it in the coming weeks and months ahead. Kim and I are both Enneagram 8s. The eight on the Enneagram is known as the challenger, and a the eight is the most unusual or rarest number on the Enneagram, and female eights are the most rare of all. Do you feel rare, Kim? Very rare. <laughs> Just like a good steak. <laughs> um, and so why I wanted to talk about that today is that there's kind of an idea in female relationships that strong women cannot work well together, that they cannot appreciate one another's strengths. And Kim and I are living proof that that is not true. And I think that um, if you think about the nine levels of health for every number on the Enneagram, I think both of us operate in the middle to high levels and that that really helps us appreciate each other's strengths. I agree. It's a really strange thing. I butted up against someone this week, a woman who is very strong, and she felt that her light was being dimmed by my light being bright. Hmm. And I think that's one way that people can think about it is, do you have the confidence to let your light be bright as a strong woman? And then another strong woman, let her light be very bright as well. Right. That's one thing I notice about being an eight as a woman is that no one is ever neutral towards me. They always have an opinion. Either they really appreciate and enjoy the strength and intensity, or it can be intimidating because of their own insecurities. Yes, I think that's very true. And a lot of times women will shrink back. And so I spend a lot of time engaging women. 
mm-hmm. want to go toward them so that they don't feel pushback just because I am a stronger woman. Absolutely. And I think that that's something that you learn to do over time as a strong woman is to bring your strength into the room and engage people in it, to use it, to embrace them. And I know that I've struggled with that over the years of not really being able to understand what it is that might intimidate someone. And really it's not our responsibility, that intimidation, but I think that that is a higher level of health is that self-awareness that allows us to embrace others um, with the power of our presence. Yes, I think when we see or get the vibe off of someone, another woman, that she is shrinking back or that she is turning and walking away from a conversation to be able to ask more questions mm-hmm. and engage in her own space and let her define her own space absolutely helps everything to keep flowing and going. Yes, eights are very good at boundaries. I heard that in your response to allow someone else to have their own boundaries. One of the things about being an Enneagram eight is the desire to not be controlled, which does not mean that we wish to control others, but we wish for others to respect our boundaries. And so we do that often naturally for others. And I love that. And I also was thinking in preparation for this, that one of the things that I think really bonded me to you was that after Micah died, his death was so public and it felt very intrusive, all of the the news and the attention and the magnification around the nation. And I think that intuitively, as another strong woman, you um, picked up on how that felt threatening to me and you shielded me at times from some of the intensity and the excessiveness of people's in- intention, attention, probably both. What was that like from your perspective? When that happened, my natural bent towards you was I wanted to shield you because you're someone I've mentored for so long. Mm -hmm. And so there was somewhat of a parental shielding, putting your arms around, taking you out of places that were hard. But what it rolled into quickly was teaching you that Mm -hmm. you had the power to step back. You had the power to remove yourself. You also had the power to say, I don't have to answer that question. Mm -hmm. You had a lot of strength that you didn't know to use because you had never been in that genre before. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's really sweet for me. Looking back on that, they say that, that soldiers aren't made in peace. They're made in battle. And those experiences kind of gave me the time to, um, sharpen my sword and figure out, who I was and what I did have and your mentorship enabled that in me, empowered that in me. And I think that that was something really beautiful. I still remember a conversation that we had where we talked about um, public space versus private space. And I was really wrestling with how small the private space had become and how big the public space had become. And I just remember you walking me through that and kind of giving me eyes to see that in a new way. And that is such a huge piece of mentorship is the clarity and the external perspective that that can bring. So Kim and I, we have such a fun time thinking through things. We're critical thinkers. We're passionate. We are the embodiment of passion. And so you're going to hear some of that with us today. But we're also going to make a 
solid effort to show you our soft gooey centers. Eights are known as hard on the outside and soft on the inside. And Kim and I think appreciate both of those places with each other very much. And so in our time talking about mentorship, we're going to try to give you a little piece of both of those spaces. That's a good idea. I believe that we are stronger because we are soft on the inside. Mm. And to those people that we draw into our soft spaces, who know us intimately, who go on the long haul with us, they are the ones who give us the strength for the rest of the time. Yes, absolutely. And that is a big piece of vulnerability, is that vulnerability is inherent in strength. And they are reciprocal to one another because vulnerability is like the flexibility that allows when something hard, it cushions that blow. If you're strong and brittle, you break. And so being vulnerable in relationship with your mentor builds trust over the long time. It really does. And that was one of the things that you and I struggled with in the very beginning Mm. because you felt that if you were gooey and soft, that you would lose some of yourself. You Mm. would lose some of your strength and then redirecting you to know that all of that that was inside of you was ready to come out. It was ready to be used and it was an important part of who you were without weakening you. When the lights started going on inside of you, it was amazing to see. Mm, That's really sweet. Do you have any memories of that that you could share with people? I know that some of the first times part of mentorship is when you come through and you give people the opportunity to have feedback. Mm. When you and I first started interacting, we were working together at MOPS, Mothers Mm -hmm. of Preschoolers. I was a mentor mom. Mm -hmm. You were leading the group. And so I was under you. I was quite comfortable being under you. But when it came time for me to give criticism, correction, insight, anything Mm -hmm. in that category, you would bristle quickly. Mm. And your first thought was, I'm no longer strong. I'm no longer leading well. Mm -hmm. And when you thought you were not leading well, then you would come at me pretty hard. And as a mentor... Having been a mentor for a long time, I knew that that was a key of this is somewhere that I could lead you into a new thought process. Hmm. So when we would have conversations and I would say, Rachel, what do you think about this? What do you think should happen here? I see it this way. I had to teach you how to have those conversations of not deflating yourself, mm, right. of not being hurt because I brought a different thought process. Part of that is because being an eight, we've thought things through really well. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we aren't necessarily ready to add more thoughts to our thought process. Yeah, we can be kind of fixed by the time we get out there. I think also decision making is easier for us. Um, We come across with a lot of intensity and drive and strength the mops ministry at church was something I was incredibly passionate about. And then I also brought my challenger protector self to that leadership space. And so I felt very protective over the team and the other women. And sometimes feedback, I received it instead of receiving it as helpful, I received it as an attack on my capacity Mm -hmm. 
or my ability. And so growing in that together where we both knocked heads in some places, you know, and building trust and, and understanding the other one's intent um, was a journey that we've made over time. We've been talking with Kim Oster, one of my mentors, for over eight years now, I think. Are we that far along? Does that sound about I right? I believe Somewhere we are. In yes. there, which is crazy to me. I can't believe it's been that long. So Kim and I were talking about um, the conflict that can arise when you do relationship in mentoring for a long period of time, and that one of the things that mentors do is bring clarity and part of that is being able to bring insight into blind spots that everyone has and Kim was telling me about remembering seeing some of my blind spots in leadership and bringing them into the light and then just the wrestling process that I went through in order to um, be able to integrate that and not allow that to be something that wounded me or felt like an attack on my character. So what made you willing to engage that with me? I saw a lot of myself in you and I knew where you could go to. I knew that there were places you did not envision that you could go to in leading that Mm. you had not been to yet. You hadn't crossed those bridges yet. So I could take you and point you in the direction and give you a shove Mm-hmm. And you would get to those places and then you would learn things. One of the hardest things as a mentor is to go at the pace of the person you are mentoring. Mm-hmm. I do believe that each person's personal hurts, thoughts that they're dealing with within the mentoring relationship, they just have to stay with the one person. I cannot carry your hurts, mm-hmm. but I need to listen and understand why you're hurt. So that if I have done something offensive, I can come back and I can show you my own um, grace, my Mm -hmm. own forgiving myself, asking your forgiveness and moving us forward to a place where you're ready to cross the bridge that I have put you at the edge of. Right. And I feel like we're doing higher level mentoring in that conversation and that little nugget that you just gave us because a lot of people never get past the rupture of conflict or I'm uncomfortable that you gave me feedback that challenged my ideas about who I am in order to take it to a deeper level of trust and intimacy. And so let's back it up for the people who don't have a mentor yet, who would like one, who are trying to figure out how to start a relationship like that. What do you think makes a good mentor? One of the things that makes a good mentor is that you want to share a part of your life. Many people put mentoring in a certain category. Mm -hmm. They believe it's only for business or it's only for motherhood. It's only for being a wife. And they don't look at the totality of all of the things you have to offer. Anything you've gone through in life, you can be a single woman in her 50s who's never been married or had children. And you still can be a great mentor to someone. You have things to offer. It could be a very niche mentorship. Mm -hmm. It could be you're great at a certain sport. And so you are influencing someone, not in how to play that sport, but how to continue evolving within a sport. It could be really broad. Yeah, absolutely. 
I noticed as I interviewed potential mentors for our MOPS group that there were many women that I saw a lot of capacity in who were intimidated to take on the title of mentor and that they felt like that that asked something beyond their capacity because it seemed like a very high level of responsibility in someone's life. What would you say to the woman who could be modeling and speaking into some area of another woman's life who would say, I'm not good enough. I don't have all the answers. I think we sometimes confuse apprenticeship with mentorship. Mm. And those two things are very different. We're not being asked as a mentor to be an expert. Mm -hmm. As a mentor, we are inviting someone into our space so that we can share what we've done before, ways that we've done things, as well as highlight what we see someone doing Mm. so that they can get feedback. Without feedback, we become very flat as people. We start doing things in a kind of a bullish way and we're knocking things over a lot. But when we have a mentor who is asking questions back to us, it's more likely that we're going to chew on things and make better decisions because we are thinking them through and working them through. So all you're doing as a mentor is saying, I would love to have you come into my space and let me reflect back what I see in you in ways that I can make things simpler for you, Mm. that I can ask questions about, is this a place you really want to be? One of my best mentors, her best question to me, and this may be your only question you ever put forth as a mentor is, Kim, is that really who you want to be? Hmm. And that gives me the space to stop. She doesn't want an answer right then. Hmm. She wants me to stop and think about what are my motives What's the end game? What's it going to matter in three days, three months, or three years? That's a really powerful tool. I'm going to stop right there and have you say that again, because I remember being in a really difficult situation and you gave me that tool. So will you say that again in the three months, three minutes? What difference will it make? And you could use three or you could use Mm -hmm. seven in three minutes, in three days, in three months. Mm-hmm. If it's a broader category, you could say, what difference does it make in three months, in three years, in 30 years? Okay. The thing that catches you, it makes you catch your breath and stop. In the same way we redirect a child, we're redirecting ourselves when we ask those questions. We're giving ourselves the opportunity via a mentor to take a breath, not feel defensive, and instead... Think about what the possibilities are. Many people get stuck in life because they think there are only two possibilities, this or that. Interesting. And a mentor will be able to say, there's usually five or more choices. Wow. There's usually five or more ways you could deal with this. And a mentor is not giving you the answer. They're bringing up possibilities. So you're helping people think outside of their stuck places by having more experience, by bringing perspective that they themselves cannot see, and then helping them to gauge, okay, what are the impact of these choices going to have in the short, middle, and long-term range? And is this who I want to be? Is this how I want to engage my relationships? Is this going to have consequences that I don't want to have or that I do want to have? Yes, that's exactly what you do. 
And mentoring is not a relate. It is a relationship first. So you have to build a relationship. You have to have time together. You have to intentionally decide, do you want to meet together weekly or monthly? I have people I mentor in both cases. Mm. I also have some women who mentor me at my stage of life in my mid fifties, when I am a businesswoman and I'm in ministry, I have some mentors who I only see face to face every six months. It depends on where you're at, what you're going to need. And that's going to define the intensity of reflection and of the questions that you're asking. Mm -hmm. Most people don't realize they're stuck, right? I don't realize I'm stuck. I just feel like I'm having a place where everything seems to be against me. Mm. And when I feel that everything is against me, a mentor is so helpful at giving me an outside perspective. It's kind of like hindsight without having to go through it yet. I remember asking you that after Micah died and I said to you, Kim, everything feels hard. Am I doing something wrong or is it actually hard in that place of tragedy and trauma? Because that was a very severe, significant example. And you spoke into that many times and processed that through with me. And that's a really good point as well, that a mentor's job is not to tell you how to live your life or this is the decision that you must make, but to give you your options and then to help you walk out what it looks like to do that. I think sometimes when we give advice, we feel like we have to be very directive and say, this is the right way that you should do this. When the bigger picture would be to teach someone how to think and how to process their decision-making. And that is a higher level of mentorship and support. I believe that as mentors, when we can encourage someone to take six or seven dresses into the dressing room Mm -hmm. instead of one dress, they've seen it in a magazine, they've seen it on somebody on TV, and they're like, that dress would be great on me. And they only take one dress into the fitting room. And when they put it on and it doesn't look quite right, they feel like they failed. Right. And so that point of failure is where a mentor can say, just take seven dresses in with you. Absolutely. And see which one looks phenomenal. See which one fits really well. See which one when you sit down, you feel comfortable. And when you're walking, you feel comfortable in all of the little things that you don't know ahead of time. So it's not that someone has been trained to the point where they can just understand everyone and know what everyone needs to do. Instead, they're helping somebody take in all of the options that are there. And they're also the one to say, like I said to you many times, you know what, Rach, it is really hard right now. It's just Mm -hmm. hard, but it will not always be hard. Sometimes as a mentor, you're the beacon of hope. Mm -hmm. You're the one who has already raised children and you've lived through toddlers who destroy your house every day and don't eat anything you put in front of them. And you're the one to say that season will end. You're okay because this is just for a time and I'm going to be here with you during this time. Absolutely. This too shall pass. It might pass like a kidney stone, but it's going to (laughs) pass. Right. And I remember needing to hear that so many times when the twins were two and three years old and I would cry after I put them to bed, but to hear someone who had gone through those seasons before me and had survived and their children survived and were functioning members of society gave me so much hope, which is the power of modeling 
in the mentoring relationship. Kim, it's been so good talking to you today. There were so many great points to explore and for people to take home for hopefully what becomes mentoring relationships in their life. If people want to learn more about you, where can they find you? I would love to have them come to KimberlyOster.com and that is K-I-M-B-E-R-L-Y-O-A-S-T-E-R.com. And if you go to Kim's website, she has a free download for you, five topics for your first mentor meeting. They will be great. They will give you so much courage to jump out and start a mentoring relationship. Yes. So next week, we're going to talk about how to initiate that relationship. That sounds good. I look forward to it. Me too. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you. You've been listening to the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. To find out more, go to rachelflick.com. While there, you can discover more information about all the platforms that this podcast is on. Also, be sure to click on the social media icons at the top of the page and you will be directed to Rachel's social media sites. While you're online, you can book Rachel for your next speaking engagement. Her inspiring message will be sure to engage and touch the heart of your audience at your next conference, church event, or business function. Go to rachelflick.com to book her today. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time for another edition of the Hopecast with Rachel Flick.